Welcome to Day Live by Film, a film discussion podcast focusing on the Criterion channel and beyond. My name is Adam Lundy, and I am joined as always by my co-hosts, Chris Haskell and Zach Bryant. How are you doing, guys? How's things? Hey, everyone. Hello, hello. I'm ready to fight Adam on these movies. Oh, you are going to be fighting hard, my friend. Um, <laughs> uh, so this is a, this episode um, is basically the way the way it worked out is, as listeners might know, we obviously have one film now. Our, our current format is we do one film that ended up part of our vote for the Criterion um, Criterion Film Club that we run over on Reddit at r slash Criterion Conversation. And then we each pick a film to sort of go along with that as it sort of worked out with the rotations, both of today's films were, were picked by, by Zach. Uh, I'm not really too sure what his theme was. I'm sure he'll explain it when we get to it. Um, but yeah, we're, we're going to, we're in for a fun episode, I think in terms of discussion and <laughs> uh, to try and figure out if these, if these movies are good or not. Um, the first one we're going to talk about today is the debut film, if I remember correctly, Zach, that was the theme, wasn't it? It was first films. Yeah, it was. Yeah. I don't know if Zach's audio is on, but yeah, it was first films from uh, Del Toro. Yes, yes. So it's yeah, Guillermo del Toro's uh, debut film uh, from 1993 called Kronos. Uh, the basic plot, if you've never heard it or seen it before, is a mysterious device designed to provide its owner with eternal life resurfaces after 400 years, leaving a trail of destruction in its path. Um, so who, anyone want to jump in first on, on, on Kronos? Well, here, I'll tell you what, because um, I think I, I want to start because um, it's, uh, this is my birthday weekend. My birthday is tomorrow. Nice. Happy birthday, man. <laughs> um, but, but more than just that, uh, I thought it might be nice to get some of this objective stuff out of the way. So the um, objectively speaking, because we all know that in film critique, there are object objectivity is big. <laughs> so uh, this is rated as the 2898, so 2898th best film. Which feels That's very high. Uh, it feels high to me as well. Uh, <laughs> Zach, is that is that low for you? Um. I mean, I would sit there and say that, I mean, that's about right. I mean, I like this movie a lot. I think it's a good movie. I mean, I'm going to fight Adam on it here in a few <laughs> minutes. But I, I, I mean, is it, you know, one of the best films ever made? No. Is it one of Del Toro's best? No. Uh, but it's good and I like it. And I'll get into that in a little bit. But yeah, I have no problem with its placement there. All right. All right. Okay. Okay. Um, that's, a, that's a measured response considering what I was expecting you to say. Um, <laughs> I thought you were going to say this is a top 100 film. Um, but look, I, just real quick, I'll start and then uh, I want to see how this goes. But, you know, for me, I think I, I was trying to wrap my head around how this is so beloved just because it's such a simple movie. Like there's nothing really um, to it. But that's not entirely true. The more I thought about it, it is pretty impressive visually if you think about this as a debut film. And I think. I have a hunch that the reason it's people like it so much is because they were impressed with this kid who was obviously a fan of kind of horror, maybe sci-fi who came out and had this kind of imagination. And I think they probably felt like, well, this, the, you know, this guy's capable of doing anything. So if this is a debut film, like what else is next? You know, I th that 
that that's one way I could kind of wrap my head around why people are so crazy about this. But um, yeah, for me, it's all right. It's a very, very simple story, like a, like a bedtime story kind of. Um, and um, yeah, that's a, uh, let's, let's, what do you all think? Yeah, I, I think it's, I think it's just fine. You know, when I, when I, when I can, how I can sum up this film is meh, you know, it's, it's, it's okay. It's fine. I, it's not offensively good. It's not offensively bad. Um, like I said, it's a very simple story. There's aspects of the story I don't really get too much, um, which we can talk about. But like, yeah, I, I, I see where you're coming from in terms of like, maybe it's impressive how like this is Total Toro's first film and it does have a distinctive visual style. It's not, I suppose the best thing I can put it in, it's not visually stunning or super impressive visually, but it's also not really crappy. It's, it's quite measured um in yeah. terms of like the direction and, and stuff like that it's quite measured um for for a debut filmmaker that's impressive but i don't know overall this film i don't know it just gave me like and i mentioned this in my review it gave me the vibe of like an r-rated disney channel original movie or <laughs> or an episode of goosebumps or an episode of are you afraid of the dark you know those kind of shows it just gave me that kind of hokey maybe i don't know hokey's the right word it just gave me that kind of vibe. Um, I wasn't over, I didn't leave overly impressed by it, but I don't hate it. You know, I think it's just, it's just fine. Now let's hear the right answer. <laughs> I'm always here for the right take. Don't worry. Um, no, I, I actually don't disagree with Adam that it has a very um, kiddish quality to it. And I, I don't think that's unintentional though. I mean, looking at, I, I know, I think I know between Adam, Adam's never been crazy about the El Toro and I'm, much more into him but all of his stuff is fairy tales i mean you look at even like something like pan's labyrinth it's it's very fairy tale-ish it's um you know the way he directs uh you know you look at crimson peak which i think he take you know crimson peak i've always said is the best designed vampire movie that's not a vampire movie it's a romantic ghost story but um this gothic sentiment was you know something he did very early in chronos it has a very you know it's low budget but for the budget it was for him to create like this gothic style and you know it takes a lot of assurance and you know to me this film is all about him kind of getting through his rejection of the catholic church uh del toro uh, is famously very atheist and even though he talks about religion a lot in his films um this one you know by the end it is very much a sort of rejection of the catholic church in about every way. And he's using the very much the story of a vampire and the story of Dracula in a sense. There's a lot of Dracula influence here, obviously, but I just think that's really cool. Like, like I said, I mean, it's not devil's backbone. It's not pan's labyrinth. It's not, you know, shape of water, which I actually like, um, you know, I see that one's a little divisive, but uh, I think it's a very strong movie in the sense of, you know, Hey, this is the first movie I'm making. And it's, it, I just think it's a pretty cool movie altogether. Yeah, you know, one, I'm sorry, Chris. Just, just really quickly, just one, one thing I, I do like about the style of the film, and you kind of picked up on it there about, you know, kind of that sort of idea of it being like a vampire movie, that, you know, sort of horror fantasy elements. I do like how he merges that with, you know, with the sort of contemporary world he's in. 
there's a lot of the film that's actually really reminds me of just stylistically reminds me of Blood Simple from the Coens. Um, especially that scene where the 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 main character, I, I completely have forgotten his name, um, but he has that sort of um that sort of fight with um Ron Perlman's character out, you know, on outside the party on that kind of cliff. I don't know, there's a lot sort of stylistically that yeah, you definitely see the sort of fantastical slash horror stuff but I think he does take a lot of cool nuances from like neo-noir and, and does and merges it a little bit as well um so I, I did I did like that uh, it's it's certainly a film it's it's a film that certainly has a distinct voice um again that's that's me trying to uh trying to give this film a compliment where I can it, it's it's certainly a film that has a distinct voice and it is even though I'm not a big del, del Toro fan I don't overly love any of the films I've seen by him, I've always just thought they're they're fine. It, certainly, they all have a distinctive voice. Um, you can tell that this is by the same filmmaker that did Pan's Labyrinth, even though they're completely different films. You know, he is he is an auteur in that sense. So I wonder if you know, I I kind of like half jokingly, but but half serious, think that like James Cameron is not really a filmmaker as much as he is like this brilliant kind of engineer and like technician, right? Like he he builds like revolutionary technology for the film industry. We're filming, we're filming the hot takes next, Chris. Don't worry. We're getting there. <laughs> well, and, and not to, not to get into a big argument on that, but I, I wonder if Del Toro is his strength as a filmmaker is just as a set designer and sort of a, somebody who knows how to create mood. Like that's, you know, he starts the, like, that's where his comfort zone is. Um, and, and maybe some of the areas that are lacking for me are in, you know, the writing, which is, you know, Del Toro films, there's, there's never, you're never going to say that they're, they're necessarily strong on writing. And I don't think, um, they're, they're just no, and I, 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 don't, I don't ever think that's the intention. Like you, you, I, I've always been one that says, you, you know, I, I feel plot is probably the least interesting part of any movie. Like I, I just don't, you know, when people talk about like, it doesn't have much of a plot, I tend to don't care. I'm usually not there for it. It's cool if it has, it's cool if it's well plotted, but I don't really care as long as I understand what's going on. His are incredibly simple to, you know, maybe to a fault, but you know, um, you look, I mean, you look at this, I mean, it's, it's a pretty straightforward vampire story as far as it goes, but I think, you know, that's to help in a way distract it. It helps it not distract from his stronger elements, which you mentioned is creating mood, creating atmosphere, um, that style, um, you know, I think it keeps that from feeling as distracted because that's really what he wants to show off in a sense. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's definitely, definitely a kind of uh, a style. There, there's an there's an aspect where it's it's more content on on style and, and mood and atmosphere than necessarily on plot. There's a there's a phrase that I'll save because I I think it, I think it fits better in the next film we're going to talk about later on. So I'll save it in the back pocket for now, but it could also be used to describe this film. Um, the, the writing you brought up, that, this is something I kind of had a problem with. Um, and it was just sort of, maybe maybe I'm just not remembering correctly here. Um, I just looked up the characters' names and I kind of did a bit of an eye roll. You can't hear, see it because my camera's off, but um, the, I couldn't remember the main character's name. His name is Jesus Grease. And Ron Perlman's character is Angel, which both sound like look and sound like Jesus and angels. So that kind of made my eyes roll a little bit. Um, might be a bit right, too right. on the nose. Um, but yeah, with, with 
one thing I can't remember, and I don't know if just because it's been a couple of weeks since we watched this, like, was there ever any real motivation given for the main character to actually even, you know, want to be immortal? I feel like it's just they made him want to be immortal because they needed something to kick off a plot. I don't recall that ever being exposo- ex- expositioned, exposed. I don't know what the right term is. I mean, the way I kind of view it is it's a very, you know, I'll take it because my reading of this film is a lot of, you know, the rejection of the Catholic Church, the rejection of that idea of eternal life, um, where Del Toro is very, very much atheist in that sense. But it's this idea that it's a fear that most people do have. It's a fear of moving on and it's a fear of not knowing what's next. And so at his age, that's just you know, something that's very naturally there for him. That, you know, sense of almost like an addiction to life, that addiction of not letting it go. Instead of, you know, a lot of vampire stories actually are used as a drug addiction sort of plot. This one's more of taking it a little bit more literally into the sense that I think he has an addiction to staying alive because he doesn't know what's next. And I think that's a thing, you know, people who are non-religious may deal with, you know, because of the sense of, you know, you don't have that, however you view it as a something next, it's this is it. And how do you how do you accept that sort of idea? I feel like that should have been I don't I don't, I don't like to be spoon fed, but I also don't like to be presumptuous. You know, when I watch a film, I, I like I feel like that that I, I, I certainly get what you mean. Yeah, for sure. That sort of sense of mortality, you know, you know, kicking in, you know, you have an opportunity to to stay alive you know, when you're that age, you're going to take it. But I feel like it's just, it, it was never, I don't know. I, I just felt like it could have, we could have done with something to make us realize this is why he's gone to all this absolute hassle. Um, and, and, you know, to the point where he doesn't even want anyone else to get the device. I don't know if it was even explained really how the device works. So both, two people can't use it. Is that how it works? Or but I don't know that that was necessarily... My, okay, again, it's been a few weeks, but I don't remember it being something that he chose. I remember it being something that happened to him. But like once well, this he, is what I'm wondering now. Does this change? Like when, when he first uses this accidentally, obviously he finds the thing at the very start of the film. So this is not a spoiler. He finds the golden scarab or beetle, whatever it is. And he doesn't obviously know what it is. Um, right. you know, he just finds it and it attaches itself to him and he, he starts to undergo that trans you know that transition is this this film's equivalent of you know someone being bitten by dracula and then they don't have a choice they're kind of bound to this thirst and hunger for a mortal life is that yeah because there is that scene because the first time it happens it isn't on purpose it just sort of happens yeah. it bites into his hand and then he gets this like itch that just will not go away and he has this idea finally to just put it back on his hand it might be a stretch for a reasoning point that's kind of goes back into the writing issue but you know and that works that actually does take away that itch for him so he kind of figures out you know okay that so, so you know i need to keep doing this because you, okay, you can't I appreciate stop, that. You stop it's it's over that clears that up because i keep forgetting this is kind of like a vampire movie i think that's kind of my problem um so it's not that he he was it's not that he was actively making the decision, I'm going to keep using this so I can stay immortal. It's the fact that once it's been used once, kind of like a drug or whatever, I know we talked about the drug addiction aspect, you know, when it comes to allegories for vampirism. 
So it is kind of like that in that sense. He's used it once now. He can't really stop. Yeah. And this this is one thing that I will give Del Toro credit for. This came up a couple of times in the discussion. And I do think is is, is a unique thing. And I, and I do like, you know, he, if you look across his filmography, he tends to sympathize with the monster. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, he's very Dracula, very not Dracula, very Frankenstein in a, in a way. Yes. Yeah. And I do like that about him. Like, here's this guy turning into a vampire, but he's the hero of the story, right? And he's he doesn't want to eat, drink blood, and like you know, he, he's fighting it. And uh, it's contrasted with that old that older guy who's the boss of Ron Perlman, um, and then Ron Perlman himself. But they they have the lust and the hunger, uh, and they're willing to do anything to get it. And the and the person who is the monster kind of doesn't want it, you know. So. I thought that was a, a good call out, I guess, as far as like a different angle on this. Speaking I do of, actually uh, want to bring up, uh, oh, sorry. sorry. No, go ahead, sir. I, I was just going to say, I actually do want to bring up Perlman's character because I actually think he's really interesting uh, in the sense that, you know, he's kind of the, he's the English speaker because his Spanish is so awful, which I think is just kind of funny. Uh, from my understanding, Del Toro made him so over the top because it was kind of his revenge against how, American films treated Mexicans and these stereotypes. So he did the same thing with Perlman, which I think is, which I think is funny. Uh, but one thing that I think is interesting with Perlman is he doesn't really care as much about the scarab or the, you know, the device. He just wants his uncle to go away. Like that's kind of his whole motivation is, you know, um, the reason he, you know, the whole thing with like the reason he wants the plastic surgery is because his uncle keeps hitting him in the face and breaking his nose and he just wants it to go away. Um, so he's just doing what's necessary. I think that's really interesting because they are like on one side, but it's just kind of a means to an end for him. Like he doesn't really care what this costs. He just w- wants it to be done in a sense. He doesn't want that obligation anymore. Yeah, I, I agree on that point. Yeah, there's definitely, usually with these kind of films, you know, once once the kind of henchman style character gets wind, he'll try and make a play for it. But uh, yeah, he just he just seems to want everybody just to fuck off. Um, that 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 seems to be his uh, his his big deal. Uh, just before I forget, because we mentioned Frankenstein, um, and I just want to touch on this really quickly, just in terms of the the costume and the makeup design. Have you guys ever seen the film Curse of Frankenstein, the Hammer film? It's great. I love that movie. Yeah, did, did you like see like a similarity, you know, as he got more disheveled, he started looking more and more like Christopher Lee's Frankenstein, um, or Frankenstein's monster, I mean. I, I didn't notice it watching it, but now that you mention it, yeah, I can definitely see that hammer influence on it for sure. Um, yeah, yeah it's just, I think it's the hair. I think it's the yeah. hair that's what, that's what gets it, the way the kind of long hair kind of sort of flattened. Mm-hmm. down his sort of side of his head it just really it just really reminded me of, of christopher lee um so i i did think and that's another thing i will give this this film credit for um the, the practical aspects of the makeup and the costume design and the sort of special effects and stuff are very good and uh, makeup especially um towards you know towards the end of the film as, as as the main character gets more and more sort of physically disheveled um the, the makeup design is is very good this fits into the same category for me. Uh, Del Toro and Edgar Wright to me are similar in one thing that if I was ever going to have a dinner 
with filmmakers and just talk about film, I feel like those are two that I would want at the dinner because I feel that they're obsessed. They're kind of fanboys first that became filmmakers. And I, I do like that about Del Toro. You know, you can see influence and, and, and his passion for movies and horror uh, and monster movies come through in everything he does. So that, you know, I, I've always liked that, appreciated that in him. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't necessarily disagree with that. I'm a big fan of Edgar Wright, too. Um, but, yeah, they, they definitely wear their influence on their sleeve. Not to the point of Tarantino, necessarily, about, you know, um, that. They, I, I still feel like they try to put, you know, put as, you know, I, I'm not going to say Tarantino doesn't, but putting your own spin is still a big priority to them. But, uh, you know, it's not just yeah, reference yeah. after reference. There's, uh, there's more to it than that. There's a big difference between influence and just straight up stealing sequences <laughs> from other movies. Yeah. Very fine line there. I, I don't know, you know, I, I certainly don't want to end too early, but I don't know how much there is for me to say about this movie, just in total transparency. It was okay. Um, I, I, I would even watch it again, like as my son gets a little bit older, if he's into horror movies at all. Um, I, I would watch it again. I could sit through it again. It was fine. Um, Chris, you haven't watched Pan's Labyrinth yet, have you? I have seen Pan's Labyrinth. Yeah. Okay. I couldn't remember. I couldn't remember if I had. Um, but that's you know that I probably that movie itself is not too bad. But there are some visuals there that are a little disturbing for a five year old. But um, I think <laughs> the hand man. Yeah. <laughs> As he gets, you know, I, I'm not a, I'm not one. I'm not, I don't want to get into like parental philosophy here, but. It, it just all depends on the kid, right? When I of was course, yeah. when I was five year old, I was watching Freddy and laughing at it because I could tell it was fake. And like, I can already tell that, that he's not like that. You know, he sees a shadow and he's like, he wants to come sleep with us because it's a ghost, you know? So, yeah. Um, so I, it just depends on the kid. But anyways, my, my, I guess my, my bigger point is uh, th these movies are fine. Like, I, I, you know, I think Del Toro for me is somebody that I watch, I tend to forget. Um, and then if somebody brings it up, I kind of remember pieces of it and, uh, and, and I'm, I'm happy that he exists. He, obviously he has a really rabid fan base. So, um, that's, that's good. He's filling a need and, uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of my, <laughs> my take on grownups, I guess. Uh, I guess my summation would be it's better. I'll, I'll take the last line from my review, which was it's better than most of the French new wave shit we watch. <laughs> uh hard hard disagree on that notion um but i i won't begrudge you of your of your opinion speaking of vampires and and blood-sucking habits um uh this has been a very expensive season for me and the uh the boutique blu-ray companies are are sucking my bank account dry uh at the moment uh, there's, uh, I got the vinegar syndrome, uh, haul in, which I, I know that, you know, uh, pe people kind of give them crap for putting out movies like Miami connection, even though I really like Miami connection. Um, uh, but you know, like these guys are just, I think in 10 years, people are going to look back and, and, or maybe, you know, some people are doing it now, but I think the, the greater critical audience of, is going to look back and just realize how impressive the work is they're doing for collectors. You know, they've fully embraced the fact that they're putting these out for collectors. And I think it shows, you know, 
that we've we talk a lot about you know the synapse uh episode that just came out we talked about this this idea of like putting out definitive editions and i think vinegar syndrome does that uh in in a way that i've always been impressed with and so when you know uh voyage of the rock aliens comes in in, in the in a slip cover that's been had custom art designed and it has special features and it has a uh tour at least a 2k scan if possibly 4k but that's you know that's that's the best that movie's ever going to get and so i think i i like what vinegar syndrome's doing and they're putting out bigger and bigger movies now so you know one of their archive titles that they just put out which is i don't do y'all remember hearing that that it was just one line that curtis said when they had an interview but he said he he confirmed that vinegar syndrome archive is their action line i which, don't recall I anyways yeah Kind of makes sense if you look at their titles, but he did confirm that that that's their intent there. But you know, this movie Red Surf has George Clooney in it, uh, DD Pfeiffer. So they're getting into these bigger titles, um, and um, I think that that's going to continue. They had uh, what was the other one recently? Death Wish Two. So they're starting to break into bigger titles, and I just I have to imagine that's going to continue. Um, and then the only thing I just want to shout out too is I. I've had the, the busiest two weeks of work that I've probably had in 10 years. I've been staying up till like, like on Thursday night, I stayed up till 3 a.m. finishing up sales presentation that was due on Friday. And it was a four hour presentation. So work has been insane. So I haven't gotten to Ilya Muromets yet. And that's killing me because I want to see that movie so bad. Um, but I also just want to call out that their partner labels are putting out movies like that. Um, movies like the Coca-Cola Kid, movies like Inspector Ike. Uh, you know, these are like, they're, they're getting, oh, Buster Keaton Rides again, which was his last feature film that was happened to be shot in Canada. It's like, this is amazing that you can buy these movies on their store. So I'll end it at that. Just, uh, just a little bit of love to Vinegar Syndrome and their partner labels and, and kind of the engine they're building. Yeah, like we, we brought this up you know, on, on Collection Corner, it's been brought up when we speak to, you know, the, the people involved in these companies. But, you know, the fact that, you know, you can buy a really great edition of pretty much any shitty film that's ever been made is, you know, it, it is, it's great. Even though, you know, a lot of stuff that maybe Vinegar Syndrome or, or other companies might not be everyone's cup of tea, it's great for the people who do like those kind of movies to have access to really like amazing editions of these films. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll hop in on mine real quick. I don't have anything to talk about from what I've purchased. Um, there is just some news that kind of been, it's been trickling through um, for a film that I love and I'm, I'm really excited for more people to sort of see it and, and appreciate it. Um, so we obviously found out that Janice and Criterion had acquired the rights to David Lynch's Lost Highway. Um, there was some kind of rumblings that, you know, it would have been whether it was going to be just another Blu-ray, whether it was going to be a 4K scan, you know, what was the situation going to be? And it looks like it's been confirmed that it is going to be a 4K release. Um, probably, I assume, 2023, as Inland Empire has now been confirmed for 2023. I can't imagine Lost Highway is going to come out before that. Um, but yeah, I don't know if you guys have seen Lost Highway. I think when I asked you guys this before, it was a no on both accounts. Is that right? I've not seen it. No, I haven't. Wanted to. Ah, uh, it's it's such a great film, and I think a lot of people 
have either avoided seeing it because I don't think it got the best reception when it came out or, you know, just been avoiding seeing it because it hasn't been, I don't think it's been readily available. I think Kino might've put it out before. In like a yeah, really I was about to note edition. that Kino was crying about the 4K release because, you know, that's kind of been their thing for the last year. Yeah, yeah. But I, if I remember correctly, a lot of people weren't happy with that release because it was like bare bones because Lynch wasn't really happy with it either. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas Lynch is working with Criterion on this release, so hopefully there'll be a bunch of great special features to go along with it as well. Uh, but I'm just really excited for more people to see it. It's probably like my third favorite David Lynch film after Mulholland Drive and, and Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me. Uh, it's a, a really fantastic film. Um, it's certainly very, it's very Lynch um, in terms of its plot and everything like that. Um, has some violence, has uh, a lot of gratuitous sex and nudity. Um but it's a really, it's, it's, it's like a really effective film um, just in terms of its atmosphere and the sort of sense of dread that, that Lynch is able to, to sort of cut through. Um, a lot of people kind of call it a, an early sketch of, of Mulholland Drive. Um, and, you know, I, I, that's kind of, um, but I do think it's, it's its own separate film. It's a different beast. It has some really great performances in it um, from Bill Pullman and, um patricia arquette um even what's that crazy dude he even shows up what's that dude gary Busey even shows up um so, okay. you know it, it's it's a really great film i'm looking forward to more people being you know getting to see it it doesn't have a region b release so i'm hoping criterion will also put it out here as well um if not it's one i'll definitely be importing because i have a d i have it on dvd as part of like a, a dvd box set and uh, it came out like 10 or 12 years ago so it's it's in a really uh, sort of outdated format here so i'd love to get a a copy of a new scan from criterion one way or another and i'm just looking forward to more people seeing it and appreciating it because it's a it's a it's an awesome film well if if they're putting out if they've confirmed inland empire for next year mm-hmm. then that there's a good chance your theory about a lynch box that uh might be true then if they're getting lost highway um so hopefully this is a good sign for, for that. Yeah, I think at this rate, the only films they won't have the rights to is Dune, Wild at Heart, and The Straight Story. I think they have everything else. Yeah, and I've, Wild at Heart's with Shout, and then um, Dune is with Arrow. Yeah. And Straight Story is on Disney+. Plus. I did not, for some reason, never occur to me that's a Disney film. It's a Disney uh, film, yeah. So that's why yeah. they probably won't get the rights to it either. Although... I can't imagine it's a movie that makes Disney a lot of money. So who knows? It might be open to licensing it. Well, funny uh, enough, I hadn't, I hadn't seen it. So I was like, oh, well, I'm going to watch it. It's on my girlfriend's Disney Plus. I tried for 20 minutes trying to get that thing to load on Disney Plus. And I was like, I think they just don't want it to load. Because I was like, <laughs> I was like, well, let me see if something else will load. And it loaded just fine. I was like, great. Wow. Awesome. Disney Disrespect. Disrespect. To yeah. They're anti-Lynch. <laughs> How about you, Zach? Um, I'm going to go a little bit different. I really haven't bought much lately. Um, I think I mentioned before we started recording that uh, I'm kind of going through something. I think uh, people who collect or in hobbies have to go through eventually. Um, I am rebudgeting everything. I'm sure plenty of people are tired of hearing about the economy and the gas prices, so I won't drone on those. Uh, safe to say it sucks a little bit. But with that, um, I'm actually going to be taking a break uh, from 
collecting for a little bit uh, for the most part. I'm at least not going to be buying anything until my girlfriend pays off her uh, car, which is actually just about a month or two away. So that's pretty exciting. Uh, we'll have that done. Um, but during this time, I'm actually going to be kind of, you know, I, I'll, I'll be honest, you know, the, the tactics that uh, a lot of collective, a lot, a lot of these boutique labels work, use work really well on me. Like, you know, when I go on Vinegar Syndrome and it says, oh, only 200 copies left of this movie I would have never thought about before I noticed it was low and I won't be able to get it later. So it, it, I'm going to probably be using this opportunity to mostly just kind of get a pretty big list of things I actually want and am interested in and kind of go from there and kind of revamp a little bit how I uh, purchase things. Um, for years, it's been a, I have this much of a budget this month uh, to spend on things I want. And sometimes that has led me to buy some pretty stupid things because I'm like, well, I got an extra 20 bucks. Why not? Uh, <laughs> You know, and, you know, I think this is a kind of probably going to end up being a good thing in disguise, but I'm going to be living vicariously through you guys uh, for the next little bit as we record. Um, but as part of the exciting news, uh, I'm really going to be probably the thing I am going to buy once um, this is all said and done. I've already made the decision on that is I'm going to be getting uh, deaf crocodiles. Uh, they have three more things that I haven't bought yet. I haven't got my vinegar syndrome set yet, but. Um, they just put out a set of this filmmaker, Iranian, I think, where it has like four of his movies and they all sound like really cool. Like, uh, I think there's like a science fiction movie in there. There's like a slasher movie in there. Um, Chris, you might can remember what they just put it out. I think it comes yeah, out yeah, 28 yeah. this month. Um, I'll, I'll have the answer in just a second here. Cause they, I think to your point, you know, Death Crocodile, the, the, the team behind that, was programming the American Cinematheque for maybe still actively doing it, but at least 20 years. So they know, you know, um, not Craig, but uh, Dennis over there knows, mm -hmm. I, I mean, he's a walking encyclopedia on film. And I think it's, it's showing in some of the releases they're, they're putting out because they've just been awesome so far. Yeah. And I mean, they look good. Uh, I mean, it's kind of cool. They're picking out like these genre films that I would say a lot of them have, been forgotten or they had a bad edit i think the russian one who's i'm not even gonna try to pronounce it's like sword and the dragon um mm -hmm. i know it's had like a bad cut through the years so it's kind of nice to see what was intended and go through the whole thing so i'm really excited to check that out when my box gets here you know i'm not a subscriber so it'll be like four more months but <laughs> i'll look forward to it then it's it's called the time bending mysteries of chevron mockery that's it yep yeah yeah, it looks like a cool set. I'm pretty excited to get that, which I don't even think it comes out till the end of this month. So no rush there. They shouldn't run out of copies. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's it's crazy. That's, you know, they're, uh, yeah, as of right now, they still have over a thousand. So I guess you'll probably be okay. But yeah, um, they, they these movies do sound really interesting. So they have, um, the, he has a, a meditation on the, American slasher film, political thriller, new wave science, sci-fi vampire movie, and then an offbeat Jarmusch meets Tarantino indie mystery. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it all sounds up my alley. Um, I've never heard of them. So that's going to be kind of fun to go through once I get it. Uh, maybe it'll end up on, you know, Vinegar Syndrome. I have like a good 50-50 shot. One of these movies will end up on Tubi. You know, it's interesting, Zach, you might appreciate this. Um, uh, and Adam, you might appreciate this as well here. So in, in, uh, there's, a, there's a little known filmmaker, Adam, I don't know if you've heard of this guy from Iran named Abbas Kirsami. 
Um, Sounds like a hack to me. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Some film school dropout. Um, yeah. But he said he left a crypt. There's a movie he made called 24 Frames. And uh, in, in he on screen, there was a cryptic message that just said Shahram Mokri, which is the, the name of this filmmaker. So I guess he was a big fan. Oh, that's cool. Okay, that's really neat. Yeah, here we go. That's, there's a little background there. All right, and welcome back from Collection Corner. Now we're going to be moving on to our second film, which I got to choose, uh, pretty excited about. It's uh, Gore Verbinski's 2016 film, A Cure for Wellness. Uh, it's about an ambitious young executive sent to retrieve his company CEO from a from a mysterious wellness center at a remote location in the Swiss Alps, but soon suspects that the spa's treatment are not what they seem. So the question really becomes, uh, I already got a little bit of a hint that Adam doesn't really care too much for this movie. Uh, I don't know what Chris thinks. So how should we start this, positives or negatives? First off, can you explain why you chose this to pair with Kronos? Because... Wait, wait, I want to guess. I want to guess. Okay, okay I won't Chris, I'll let Chris guess. Um. First of all, it was it was cool to see um, the uh, the the dad. Uh, what's his name? Lucius Malfoy here in a bigger role. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, Jason if you Isaacs. didn't say Lucius Malfoy, I would have his name. Jason uh, Isaacs. Jason Isaacs. Uh, thank you. Yeah. Turns out he's a pretty good actor. I think, or at least I think he does menacing well. Um, he also does that great in The Patriot. <laughs> okay, I believe. Yeah. That. Um. Okay, so the, this movie does not have a ranking um, on the issue pictures. I think part of it could be it's still relatively new. Um, Come on I'm now. Sure. It's six years old. If it was going to be there, it would be there. It should be there. <laughs> um, part of it is also because I think Gore Verbinski probably doesn't... He does have some films on the list, but I think people view him as a populist filmmaker, which um, doesn't necessarily help people all the time on, on that list. But... Um, Okay, the, if, if you think of the way that children are used here uh, and, and the way that there's like, you know, kind of a tie-in to immortality, um, I, think it's, I think what you're going to say, Zach, is something along those lines. Um, in, in a sense, yeah. It's, 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 uh, basically, it's, it's two movies that use these seemingly man-made devices for eternal life yeah okay and you know like i said uh spoiler sorry for anyone who's gonna watch this movie i can't really give that away without it but it's the reason i didn't tell you guys what the connection was because that's kind of a big part of it okay i, I was gonna guess style over substance so <laughs> oh don't worry we'll have a discussion about that later <laughs> style over substance that was the phrase i, I didn't want to use in describing chronos i wanted to save it for this instead but uh Gore Verbinski is a guy that I've known about for a while. When I was in my punk phase, he, he directed the music video with for No Effects. I don't know if y'all know that band, but, um, you know, he kind of came out of that scene. And then obviously he, he got his big fame for Pirates of the Caribbean movies, right? Um, well, I, I think probably The Ring was probably his big breaking point was the remake of The Ring. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, the Pirates films. That's a good point. Yeah, The Ring put him on the map as a director who can handle that material. And the movie made a lot of money too, right? Yeah, I did. It, it, you know, it's better than Ring did. So I understand why. Um, oh, take. 
That is a hot take. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't even seen Ringu, and I think it's a hot take. <laughs> the video is way creepier in the ring it's way better it's it's much more effective nice and there you heard it here first um uh he also did um the budweiser frog uh commercials that i did not know oh well there we <laughs> go he's up there with scorsese now i think <laughs> and then to his credit there's a there's a silly little movie that i remember liking i, I don't know if it's held up well but there's a movie he made in uh, 2001 called The Mexican with Brad Pitt. I think it's pretty solid. Uh, he did some interesting dramas because he does The Weatherman with Nick Cage as well. Yeah. I'm yeah. So he he can handle dramas at times. And then I think people would be remiss if we didn't bring up Rango. I think that's his most beloved movie. It's probably my favorite of his. Yeah. It's good. But what about The Lone Ranger? You know, if I, if I had room on my hot take ones, that would have been on there. I actually like the Lone Ranger. Oh, wait, hold up. He did Mouse Hunt. Okay. He did, yes. Officially Kino. This dude is officially <laughs> Kino. He did Mouse Hunt. Verbinski's been around forever. Like, I think it's like, I think he was started in like the early 90s. Wait, this film, this is not called Mouse Hunt. This is called Mouse Trap. At least it's called Mouse Trap over here. Yeah, it's I Mouse Hunt over here. I remember this film being called Mouse Trap. I need to make sure that I'm not. Make, it could be a difference because we crazy. have board game over here. Well, we I don't know if that's a big game. thing over there or not. Is the, is, not. the board, is the board game called Mouse Hunt or Mouse Trap? Mouse Trap. So I don't know if there was like but we have calling it Mouse Trap over here. We have that as well. Why do I think this film was called Mouse Trap? Maybe I'm just mixing it up. No, this it looks is like some it was Mandela always, effect stuff. It looks like it was always called Mouse Hunt. I always thought this film was called Mouse Trap, but that's probably because I mixed it up with the game. No, no, anyway. you, you shifted all realities. Let's let's get it right <laughs> for sure. But uh, I, I guess I can get started on kind of why I really like this film. Uh, just to you know, and Adam can try to break it down. What do you think? So uh, to give a little background on this film, uh, Verbinski originally wanted to do a Bioshock film. I don't know if you guys played those or not, but that was kind of yeah, great game. Yeah, th- this was kind of the. And when he couldn't get that project, he kind of retooled and made this film. And I think that's, you know, a huge influence. I think the way it is designed, I think it's very Bioshock in that sense of like um, some of the themes it goes through. But, um, you know, I can, I watched this film back in like, I guess when I, I watched it in theater, so 2016, um, I was the only person in theater because nobody went to see this movie. Um, sadly but uh you know i i really enjoyed you know it, it spoke to me on that level because i think i guess the, probably the most obvious theme of the film is work burnout it's that idea of you know working to an end you know the ceo is you know that's that's what the wellness part is i guess supposed to be and what we'll get to the end i'm sure because you kind of have to talk about the end of this movie um and it's, it, I think I connected with it a lot because of that. But beyond that, I just really love the look of this film. I love the gothic nature of it as this film goes on. Like it starts out in this very corporate, gray, monotone look, and it slowly transforms into like this very gothic type of horror movie. And I think that is so cool to watch over that because it's a long movie. What is it, like two and a half hours? two hours thank you very much yeah two hours and 26 minutes i knew adam would love it for that Mm -hmm. um 
you know, and seeing that kind of slow descent to that, I just think it's really neat. I think it's really effective. Um, I think it does claustrophobia really well in a lot of scenes, um, even though there's all this outside stuff. I think the way it feels so contained, even in this something that doesn't seem very contained, I, I just think it's really cool. And I think that's a big reason for the Swiss Alps is because it's a place that looks beautiful and feels so outside, but it feels so isolated at the same time. So uh, that kind of, I guess, sums up a lot of my love for this movie, but we'll probably get into more as we go. Can I go through my little checklist? Yes, feel free. Okay. Uh, script is bad. It's bad script. Um, pacing's awful. But I do like some of the ideas in the film. So it has some neat ideas. You kind of picked up on some of them, you know, this idea of corporate burnout, what you know, leading to, you know, trying to become a person, a human being again, when you're sort of been burned out on the corporate chain. I think that's a cool idea. Um, and, you know, the other idea is sort of more towards the end of the film with how the sort of plot went in the last kind of 30 minutes, which I won't talk about, you know, explicitly right now anyway. I like that. I thought it was cool. Um, but overall, I think the script is bad. It's way, way drawn out. This is a film that does not need to be two and a half hours long. This should have been like a nice 100 you know, to maybe 120 minutes and it would have been a nice tight picture. But this, it, it's just, it's so drawn out. That I, 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 I forgot what was even happening half the time because I'm like, this dude is still here. Just, just you know, how is he, you know, he just keeps sort of going into cycles of, of bullshit. Um, my next point uh, is on the cast. Uh, Maya Guff, who I saw recently in another film you recommended, X, which was awesome. Uh, she's very good. She's very good in this film. Um, Jason Isaacs, as we already mentioned, is awesome in this film. He's he. I think he's a very underrated character actor. Uh, very menacing, as we mentioned. We talked about when when you picked this film, and I saw that Dane DeHaan was in it. I'm like, geez, I forgot about Dane DeHaan. I wonder why he doesn't get more work. You know, he was really good in the Place Beyond the Pines and Chronicle. And now I realize why he doesn't get more work because. He's just like a 30-year-old man in a 15-year-old's body. Um, <laughs> didn't take him seriously at all in this film as a, as a corporate businessman. He just looked like some dude wearing his dad's suit the whole movie. Um, I think when you have this kind of film, you, your main character needs to have a sense of gravitas about them. Dane DeHaan is the absolute opposite of that. He has all the charisma and gravitas of a teaspoon. Um, I think we'll probably I talk. A, I have something for that, so don't let me forget. I will talk okay. about that. Well, I think one film we'll probably talk about in relation to this, Shutter Island, because um, I have similar ideas. Leo DiCaprio's, you, know, you, need a, you need a Leo DiCaprio in this kind of film, I feel, you know, to, to be really drawn in. And, and Dane DeHaan doesn't have that. Um, as you mentioned, extremely stylish film. I think the visuals are, are very, very good. Um, it has a bit of hokey CGI every now and again, but I think the film looks super stylish. Um, and one thing I did really like about the film, um, which you might be surprised about by the way I talk about this, one thing I really liked is its ability to make you squeamish without having to rely on gore. Mm -hmm. um, that's one thing that this film does very, very well. And, you know, talking about The Ring, you know, Verbinski's film, that also does that really well. I love a horror film that can make you feel squeamish without having to rely on, on like over the top gore. 
you know, the original Halloween did it. Other films have done it, you know, and I think this film does that really, really well. But I think ultimately, and I'm hoping over the course of the next few minutes when we talk about this, you might turn my, my brain around on this a little bit. But I just don't really get the point of this movie. I don't really know why it exists. I just don't, I just don't, I just don't get it. I just don't, I just don't. I, I came out of this film at the end thinking, I don't really have anything to take away here. It just kind of felt like pointless, pointless scenes happening for two and a half hours. And I'm hoping maybe you'll turn my, my mind around about that. That's my little checklist on um, for, for things that I did and didn't like about this movie. So, well, I think it's maybe Chris's turn to, to talk about the, what he thinks. We'll see where that goes. Um, I think it's obviously in the hands of a very competent director from the sense of the way that it, it felt like um, everything was happened the way it should like that. You know, I trust, I think if anything, the, the size of the projects that Gore Verbinski's worked on, he's probably a really good, you know, sort of onset producer. I don't know if that's the right term, but in the sense of like making sure things happen on time, you know, kind of just, just getting like the, the nuts and bolts down of, of what's happening. And, I think if some of those Pirates movies he's worked on probably as well, he's probably stopped looking at the script that closely and just kind of been like, okay, what is it today? Okay, sure. Let's just get this done. <laughs> I don't know if that's true. Um, they got, they got pretty wild by the end. Um, uh, I, so I think the movie looks beautiful, actually. Like the cinematography was quite striking. Um, my biggest issue with it was that although I do agree it was good when the, when there was eels or when there, you know, when he wanted to creep people out, that was done well. I think it was done well on an Island and I don't think it integrated into the story. Well, um, the movie kind of felt like, um, like, like, like two genres that were kind of mixed together a little bit for me, or, or like it was like the horror elements were kind of forced in a little bit. And um, especially at the end when, there was like a, a reveal uh, for one of the characters that are not fully who you thought they were. You got to see their true form. Uh, it felt very hokey and uh, campy, which maybe that was the intent. If, if that's what we hear, that's okay. But it was set up to be, like you said, more of a Shutter Island type or one of these where it's like a psychological type movie. And then by the end, it just, it just had kind of like a campy sort of goofy, um, um, like what's that what's that marvel movie where um well i, I guess wait one second i can't say anything because it's spoilers um i know exactly what film you're gonna you're referring to and i feel the same way yeah 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 <laughs> um anyways it, and, and maybe that's the intent which in that case i guess he did it right but it, it felt like he was trying to make something serious and i had a hard time taking it serious so that's my that's my biggest critique okay so i'm gonna uh kind of touch on a big one I want to touch on is something Adam was discussing uh was the way is it how do you say his name Dahan that's how you say his name right and Dahan that's what I would Dahan. Dahan. Yeah. um the way he looks he's not does not look like a corporate figure and I really do think that is intentional um so we learn within the film that his father had committed suicide when the stock market had crashed that he kind of took on, you say he looks like he's wearing his dad's clothes. And I think that is very much the idea of it. It's this idea that, you know, the father passing on 
their life in a sense. And I think that even connects into what we learn at the very end of the film, you know, something that's happened, trying to talk around it the best I can, you know, something that's happened a hundred years ago is just the father trying to pass on a life, trying to pass on a legacy. It's the same problem. It just looks different. It, the difference between, you know, hundreds of years ago to the corporate world of today, that legacy is still the the cancer of a sense to the next generation. It is that thing that can't go away. I feel feel of obligation that, you know, if you're a baron, you have to continue because you have power, you have success. And the same thing when your dad was a big part of the corporate world, you become a part of that, even if it doesn't fit you properly, even if it's not what you want. I think that, you know, that is a, that was a very intentional choice to have someone like, you know, not a Leonardo DiCaprio because, he would feel so much more comfortable in that role. Dahan is obviously at least can figure out how to make this work. I don't think he's an unintelligent guy. He's just, like you said, he's not charismatic. He's not what you'd expect out of it. He just knows how to undermine the system enough to be successful, which is how he basically is threatened into bringing back the CEO. Um, that's kind of my two cents about like uh, a big part of the film and why, you know, I'm okay with someone like that because I think it fits for what they're going for by the end. Somewhere out there, Gore Verbinski is listening to this podcast and writing what you said down to try and like, <laughs> oh shit, this is how I should have justified this when I'm talking about this movie. <laughs> have you all ever heard of this podcast called Blank Check? No. Uh, I've heard of it. Yeah, I don't think I've ever listened to it, but I've definitely heard of it. It's really good, by the way. Um, if I can direct people to the second podcast because obviously they listen to ours first but um uh it's very funny very very funny but uh, the, the the whole premise is around directors that are so successful that they get a blank check to go direct like a personal project for them and this is uh, like the epitome of a blank check kind of movie i think you know like this is a he just made disney billions of dollars and they've opened up a theme park based off of the movies he directed and all this stuff so you know, he got to make this movie, probably didn't have a lot of creative um, uh, checkpoints, like uh, uh, governance or accountability. Probably they just said like, yeah, man, you're, you're Gore Verbinski, like go make what you want. And I think maybe some some of that would have helped here. Um, I'm, I didn't hate this movie. Uh, I, I did hate it at two and a half hours. Um, <laughs> I, I think that the, it's just hard to take something that's the idea of uh, like, like an episode of, of TV and stretch it to two and a half hours. Like, I don't think there was enough meat on the bone. No. I think you could even go a tight 90 and I'd be okay. Adam, you gave it credit to go to two hours, maybe, but you know, the way that this story is told and laid out, there's a couple of, there's like five key beats you got it. You have to hit. And after you hit those beats, you want to just kind of get through it and see the, see the result, see the ending, you know? So um, that's my biggest, my, my, yeah, that, that's my biggest critique on the movie is it just, by the time you get to the second hour, you're like, there's 30 more minutes of this. Like, what are we, what are, what's yeah. going on? No, but I, I bet you didn't predict how the last 30 minutes was going to go. <laughs> I mean, I didn't, I didn't like, not exactly, but I, I wouldn't say that I was, you know, sitting there like, Oh wow. What a twist. 
Uh, <laughs> would, you know, I wouldn't say it, it's on the twist just as much as it just goes so off the wall. Yeah, 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 yeah. It goes completely off the wall. And that's what I, that's another reason I just love this. I like movies, these big budgeted movies, because, you know, you get so used to what's the safest route. And it's like, you know, especially when you get into like some of these, you, you know, you get into expensive films like this, because this was made for a good chunk, especially for horror. And it's just like, nah, do it. Nah, we're gonna go this direction where we're gonna do some incestuous stuff. We're gonna be doing some eels. We're gonna do some eternal life. You know, it's just, I like it. I, I like that it went that route because it just, it just seems so unusual for this type of project. Yeah, so, I, I did like, I did like the ending as well. Um, I yeah, I just didn't like how long it took us to get there. Um, yeah. as, as Chris said, you know. There's a lot of scenes in this film that feel like their only purpose is to create atmosphere, which is fine, but I don't think I, I don't think it earned a lot of it. Mm-hmm. I don't like as 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 cool and as sort of off the wall and crazy the ending is, which it is. Uh, I definitely have to give props there. Like I didn't necessarily see the twist coming, or well, it's not that I didn't really see the twist coming, but I was surprised about how kind of like you know how crazy they took it if that makes sense um but yeah i just don't think i don't think i don't think it really earns most of the the sort of self-indulgency let's just have a scene where we can make some people squeam and squirm in their seats but for no real actual payoff you know like the scene where like his his tooth he pulls his tooth out of his head and stuff and it just kind of feels like in the long term of the film it just kind of feels a bit pointless um, like they could have, like, like, like we said, I think they could have made a film whose ending was just as effective, even if we got it out like 30 minutes of stuff that's not even really exposition. It's just kind of there to, it's just kind of there because I, I assume Fabrinsky thought it'd be cool. So it's like, ah, this scene would be cool. And no one kind of said to him, yeah, but like, do we, do we need it? You know what? One area. <laughs> that I think they could have cut. Not, we don't have to play the like what you know. We don't have to play the whole like. We don't have to find an hour of cuts. But one thing I think they could have cut was the whole Miss Watkins story with the puzzles. Like that, none of that was necessary. It was maybe cute for a minute, like that he had this friend and she was like onto it. But they beat her as crazy. Maybe, yeah, whatever, maybe. But there's other ways to do that that are much faster. I, I I don't even know if this is a good or bad. I don't even remember what the hell you're talking about. The 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 lady that was like good with the crossword puzzles and she was like on to some. Oh, of yeah. No, I, I yeah that I I forgot that even existed. So that will tell you how much it could have been cut out. I <laughs> yeah. forgot that even happened. Yeah. Do we? Is it worth doing a spoiler tag and just talking quickly about the ending? Uh yeah, we might as well. So yeah, spoilers, spoilers, spoilers. If you don't want to know how this film ends, um, then skip ahead now. Um, Chris, were you thinking of Captain America? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. So it's like, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's just like not the red school. It's like the greenish brown school. Um, exactly. Yeah, I didn't see that coming at all. Um, it's it's kind of out there. It's kind of a bit like come on like do we really expect him to have had a mask that good you know this isn't scooby-doo you know <laughs> um it, i was kind of like that but i didn't expect it that's the biggest that's the biggest compliment i can give i didn't expect him to do that you know when i when i heard you know about the whole you know when it got revealed about the whole sort of want for eternal life and how he's kept himself alive for for so long 
I thought, okay, cool. He just kept his face normal or he's healed over time or whatever. I didn't expect him to be wearing like a Mission Impossible style mask. Um, you know, um, I also didn't expect him to go and attempt to rape his daughter in a in, in quite a explicit way. Um, so, you know, these are things that could have been done differently. But I kind of appreciate that Brobinski had the balls just kind of go, no, fuck it. We're just gonna we're we're just gonna to crank this up to the max. Um, I, I did appreciate that. It was kind of like it was kind of like getting a shot of like adrenaline after like you've nearly fallen asleep. Um, because you know, this film went on for so long and I didn't really know or care at this stage where it was going. That ending was kind of like, oh shit, okay, this is kind of cool. And I kind of got back into it then at that stage. I think yeah, for, I think what what can you know because this film has kind of gotten this cult following uh, since it released. Uh, like I said, it didn't do well in the box office at all. It, it got mixed reviews, um, but I think mixed is generous. Yeah, I mean wh- whatever you want to say. Uh, you know, it, it definitely has its fan base uh, for the for the film. And I think it comes down to how much you just kind of enjoy hanging out there. Like it definitely is meandering. I'm not going to deny that, but I just enjoy it. Like I enjoy like every minute I can kind of spend there because I think it's just really cool. I think it's got a lot of like neat world building and, you know, it leads to something just kind of very Gothic, almost like, I don't want to use the word experimental because I won't go that far. But just something that, you know, you feel like would be in this random old movie of just trying to come up with something, you know, to really get the audience hooked and to remember. And, uh, you know, it doesn't necessarily do much. with You know, you see that in a lot of old black and white horror films, like especially from like the 30s and 40s, where they'll do this really bonkers end that you don't even know how they even got there. And I think that's kind of what I like about this is it's gothic ending in that sense. Yeah, I certainly can't begrudge this film its ending. Um, it needed an ending like that for it to be any way memorable, I think. I think what most people remember from this film is is the ending and just like forget like 80% of what happened leading up there, like what I did. You know, you know, like in that group of friends, especially when you're growing up, there's there's always that one kid that like there's there's a joke that's going around and everybody kind of thinks it's funny. And then they kind of tell that same joke to the point where it stops being funny. That's kind of how I felt a few times, like in this movie, like, for example, when he's raping his daughter. (laughs) Okay. Like I got that what was happening pretty early in that, like, we didn't need the whole scene. Like, you know, you could have cut that in half and it would have been just as effective. I don't, I don't think he's trying to be Gaspar Noe and like make a point about how time destroys all things. It felt like a little bit too much of the daughter rape. <laughs> like, like, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of using that term in, on purpose just to kind of be provocative. I, yeah, that's. I think especially with like how, like how, how young the character is and how young Maya Goth looks. I, I have to look her up afterwards. I'm like, oh shit, wait a minute. Like, I did the same thing. Cause, cause like I've seen her in X recently, and obviously like that film has like pretty gratuitous nudity. It's it's a, it's a film about a porno, so it's obviously going to have that. 
So I was like, okay, well, this came out, this came out six years ago, and X came out this year. She looked pretty young in X. Like, geez, Louise. Like, I hope Corfer Prinsky didn't shoot in Switzerland for other reasons. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> but no, she's like, she's like, she's she older looks, than I am. Yeah, she yeah. looks young. I think she's like twenty nine or something. She's older than me as well. So she just looks young. Um, but uh, yeah, pr- pretty fucked up scene. Memorable though, um, <laughs> but very fucked up. But I suppose it's supposed to be fucked up. I, th- there's one thing I want to just call out really quick before in this segment, though, Zach. There's two. There's there's something I picked up on this, which I think is is uh, is worth is worth mentioning. Both in Kronos and in this film, you kind of tied it to like things you were going through or or how the film affected you on a personal level because of like job burnout or in Kronos it was um, um, how your father was a vampire. I forget exactly what it was. <laughs> Very similar, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and I I do think I I wanted to like call that out specifically because it, sometimes movies just hit right like. I will defend Action USA till the day I die. Not because I'm trying to be funny, but because I have such a great freaking time watching that movie. I don't care about other people's opinions of it. Like, that's a great movie. I think it's currently top 15 for me on my list. I'm not going to argue that the script is great or like whatever. Actually, that's not true. I would argue the script is great. But like, I'm not going to argue that it's a fantastic piece of filmmaking from like a film study perspective but like it just hit and i think that the the theme that i'm picking up from the way you're talking about these movies is chronos and a cure for wellness you enjoyed them but also they they tapped into something that was like personal to you and for that like i mean i I would never argue against that that's you know i mean i i guess you know if you're gonna you know for me i guess when you look at like art that's kind of the the main part right like you know i think we all we all do we all we are all you know we all criticize we all write different reviews and we try to look at things in a lens of from an outside perspective but i mean really art is at its best when it's all about the personal i i I mean i'll kind of whore myself out a little bit i just wrote a huge long jurassic world dominion from the perspective of me and my girlfriend going as her as a massive jurassic park fan you know that's kind of the main point of that is how much can you really criticize when you watch someone else and how much it, they care for it? Like, you know, in that, in that sense of, yeah, there, there's still things I have issues with. There's still this, but at the end of the day, it kind of did its job for at least some people. And that's kind of cool. Like maybe nothing I'll ever fully understand, but that's really cool in that sense. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like that idea where you can argue a film is shit, but you can't really argue to somebody's feelings or opinions on a film is shit. Um, for the most part, um, hot takes is coming up, but for, for, <laughs> for, for the most part, like I will argue that this film isn't very good, but I have no problem with Zach. Not you know, I have no problem that Zach thinks it's good. Like, because why? Why should it? It's, it's a personal thing. Yeah. Um, like you mentioned, Action USA. Like I'm the same with, with Inception. You know, Inception is an incredibly important film to me because it it ignited that love of cinema in terms of like a, a more serious aspect for me. Before, films were simply entertainment to throw on when I'm bored. Mm-hmm. But now there's something different and Inception is what woke that up for me. And, you know, people, you know, like the shit on Chris Nolan. Hey, I like the shit on Chris Nolan. But that film is important to me and it hit on a very personal level and I have a lot of nostalgia for it. 
because of that of you know that kind of internal reaction it had for me and um, you know as you know as a teenager so yeah like i don't think the cure for wellness is very good but i have no problem with zach you know has a has a love for it or anyone has a love for it yeah because you know everyone everyone's different art is subjective as i as i always like to comment on those freaking reddit posts where people are like am i a bad person for not liking goddard no you know <laughs> art is subjective you don't have to like everything just because a lot of other people do and same vice oh. versa you don't have to hate something just because other people hate it i mean or in the case of that specific question you probably are a bad person but at some point you do have to accept that that you're just not going to be perfect right as an individual <laughs> well i i think i actually picked maybe a bad choice with goddard because there's a lot to hate with goddard so maybe <laughs> i should maybe i should have chosen someone like kubrick or or, or scorsese or something instead well you know and i think this is kind of an issue we've seen you know online is great i love talking about movies with people but it's something you see a lot online where this where there's almost like the snowball rolling effect to where it's almost like this black and white of either, you know, it's overwhelmingly people like it or overwhelmingly they hate it. And that nuanced middle ground has kind of shrunk, at least in my perspective of what I see a little bit more now. Um, and that's, and that's tough to find. So when people sit there and say, I really don't like something, it's almost like an attack in that sense when it's like, no, they can just not like it. It's fine. They're not being contrarian because they don't like something. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That's actually, uh, this is extremely cheesy of me. So forgive me, uh, listeners and Adam and Zach, forgive me too. But I'm going to reference one of our other episodes. So Synapse is, is a lot of controversy right now for some of the recent releases where there have been some rights question marks. Um, but if you listen to Jerry talk, he says it in a way that I think is, is, has some wisdom in it. He's like, look, we're, we're selling these movies, right? People like what we're putting out, but all you hear is the vocal two and a half percent on one side that are antagonistic and maybe trolling a little bit, you know? And then there's another two and a half that will defend us no matter what we do. And there's a bunch of people in the middle that just kind of like a good product and just kind of want to buy it and keep it on their shelves and don't say anything. And I think it's similar for, for, for what we're talking about, right? Like there's probably a lot of people that saw Cure for Wellness and were like, it was all right. And just kind of went about their life, <laughs> you know, just, you don't have to like uh, jump on jump one side or the other and kind of have this like opinion where you're ready to go to war for, for what, right. Yeah. And I mean, you know, it's, it's always that vocal minority. I mean, you know, and, and, it, and it's, I guess the frustration comes when that vocal minority thinks they're in the majority, yeah. you know, I'll call out anyone like star Wars fans, but you know, you, I'm sure you can get who I'm talking about. <laughs> Or people that like the MCU, even though I'm one of them. So we're going to wrap up this week's episode a little bit differently. Uh, normally we do any other business, but what we're going to do instead, I'm just going to talk briefly about what to expect in the next episode. Uh, there might be uh, there might be another interview in between, so it might not be the immediate next episode. It might be in, in two weeks' time. But obviously, as you guys all know by now, we have this new format where we pick a film that's been voted on as part of the Criterion Film Club on Reddit. And then one of us in a rotation order gets to choose a film to watch alongside that. Um, so the film that we're going to watch from the film club um, is the Jim Jarmusch movie, Ghost Dog, The Way of the Samurai. 
um, which I think we've all watched by now. And so mm-hmm. we won't talk about too much, but it's a, it's a, it's a cool film. Um, it's sort of leans on that as, as the title implies, it leans on that urban samurai uh, idea. So I thought it's my turn to pick. It is simply the most obvious choice I could possibly do. And um, it would be, it would be crazy if we didn't pair this with uh, the Jean-Pierre Melville film, Les Samurai uh, with Alain Delon, uh, which is also available on the Criterion channel. So uh, that's that's what we're going to be talking about in the next normal episode. Um, the the urban samurai uh, films, uh, Les Samurai and Ghost Dog: The Way of the Samurai. That'll be exciting. I'll, I'll I'll have we watched a Melville film? I don't think we have. Have we? I don't think we have. As part of the club, no. I think he's one of the one one of the sort of few of the big French directors we haven't we haven't watched. Then yet. this will be my first one. He's a great filmmaker. Like he makes really good crime films. Um, you know, he's not he's not he's not a new wave guy. He's he's before the new wave kind of kicked in. So um, Oh good. It might be better than Kronos then. So cool. <laughs> yeah, like he he makes really good crime films. Um he has a great film called uh, Le Circle Rouge mm-hmm. about about um about a, about a heist and then he has a really great film about the French resistance during World War II. Um which title has just literally left my brain a second ago. Um, he did. He did Bob Le Flambeur as well. He did do Bob Le Flambeur. Yeah, he did. Are you talking um, about the Infant Terrible or whatever? No, um, I need to look it up. It's actually going to really annoy me. Um, Army of Shadows. Oh, Army of Shadows. That's a great film. Um, yeah, the Samurai, obviously, as we said. Um, he made another really good film called Le Deluce, which. Quentin Tarantino said is his favorite film script ever. Um, that's a really good sort of crime film as well. Uh, he did also another film called Leo Marin Priest with Jean Paul uh, Belmondo about a, which is not a crime film. It's about a sort of small provincial town in World War II, and uh, a priest sort of meets with a few of the, a few of the um, few of the people in the town, just sort of talks about life and stuff. But I realize I've actually seen quite a few of his films. So I've seen one two three four five six i've seen six of his movies uh, and they're all great i literally have, don't have a bad word to say about any of them so i'm, I'm excited to to watch a melville film with you guys um and this will be interesting anyway speaking since we're going to be going to hot takes uh at some point yeah uh, for chris he's a huge jarmusch fan and mm-hmm. i am not so this will be fun though i did like down by law that's kind of been my exception and i'm very middle ground on jarmusch so i'm i'm the i'm the centrist here um because i've only seen two and i really liked one i i, I thought the other one was just okay uh, and then we have ghost dogs so yeah i think, I think that'll be interesting can't wait 